The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Good Morning New York Real Estate with Vince Rocco. Our show is all about the exciting world of real estate, and in particular, how it relates to the lucrative New York market. But if you're not planning a real estate transaction in New York, we still have plenty of information that you can use no matter where you are. Now, here's your host, Vince Rocco. Good morning, everybody. Welcome back to another edition of Good Morning New York. Uh, It is Tuesday, January 20th. I can't get over that already. And I'm your host, Vince Rocco, and we are coming to you live from Blast Off Studios as usual. Here in Times Square, how is everybody this morning? I have the full panel for an hour with us today, so that's pretty exciting news. No guest, no, no guest stars today. Everybody good? Great. Yeah, we're really Great. good. How are you, Vince? I'm well. Happy <laughs> birthday, Vince. I'm here. Thank yeah. you. Thank you. Thank you. We have a birthday boy on our hands. Uh, well, a couple of days ago, yes. Yes, yeah, so true. tell us about your festivities. Uh, which one? <laughs> I know. So are you one of those types that ends up having like four in a row or something? Or uh, did you have one, one nice two, night? Three, four in a row. Wow. How did you know that? Four I in a row so far. have no idea. And one, and one tonight, but that's it. I, I, I called a stop after tonight. After five. I thought you called a stop already, but it doesn't always work out that well, way, Well, I did, it? but as I said off air, you know, some friends just don't take no for an answer. So uh-huh. it is what it is. <laughs> uh, we'll go on from there, but you know, there's always next year. I keep telling people there's always next year. It's not a big deal. Yeah, you'll <laughs> celebrate the birthday week. Not today. Yeah. Well, <laughs> it'll keep going. Trust me. It, it, it used to be two weeks. <clears throat> anyway, so so you turned thirty-two today. Uh, on Saturday. Yes, I yeah. did. How did you know that? Too? I know Isn't that something. I know a lot. Oh, I guess. So. Uh huh. Okay. Don't I look good? Yeah, you really do for thirty-two. <laughs> and uh, I'm going to just step aside and let you do your radio show. I'm going to start with some news news items. Okay. So real estate experts report fewer record-breaking purchases. <clears throat> from Russian clients. And now, one of the wealthiest men in Russia could be parting ways with another big investment, his NBA team. Very interesting story. Russia's economy is shrinking, and the Brooklyn Nets may feel the squeeze. Bloomberg News reported this week that billionaire Mikhail Prokovov wants to sell his 80% stake in the NFL, in his NFL franchise. He is one of the richest men in Russia, but he is losing money in the Russian economy by the day. Interesting news. Speaking of wealth, Nearly one quarter of New York City's residents are pied-a-terres or investment properties, according to the New York Times. Of course, investment properties, which make up the bulk of the empty apartments and tend to be somewhat modest units, are almost always rented out. However, the paper says that the percentage of pied-a-terres may actually be higher as the estimate does not include buildings with 421A tax exemptions, leaving out some more recently built condos that are widely known to have a high concentration of foreign buyers, including 157 and 15th Central Park West. We've talked about this several times on this program. Of all the newly posh districts in downtown Manhattan, few have ri- risen in price and prominence quite like NoHo. I was a little surprised by this statistic. What was once a warrant of artist lofts, light industrial spaces, and tower records of all places uh, has evolved over the past 20 years, 20 years, I'm shocked by this, into one of the most exclusive and stylish communities in all of Gotham. The data is hard to refute. According to real estate statistics, the median NoHo sales price for the last quarter hit 
$4.85 million, an increase of nearly 62% from the previous year and a full 200% over the previous five years. Today, average NoHo residences are some 50% pricier than neighboring Soho and twice that of Tribeca. I still thought that Tribeca and Soho was above NoHo, but again, that's, wow. that's news to me. I love that neighborhood. It's incredible. It's, incredible. Mm. it's, it's the best, but I, I didn't realize that it had taken off quite as much. There's a new Gold Coast on the East River and even the Gowanus Canal. Townhouse sales of more than $3 million in Brownstone, Brooklyn, <clears throat> have increased 579%. In the last five years. Amazing. 579% brownstones in Brooklyn. $3 million is the new threshold for a Brooklyn townhouse. Inventory is also on the rise, which will sustain the explosive trend, and resale prices are extraordinary. Last month, the actress Michelle Williams sold the Borum Hill townhouse she and the late star Heath Ledger shared for $8.8 million. That's $1.3 million over its asking price last year, and that was also more than double the $3.6 million they paid for it in 2005. It's extraordinary how prices have um, escalated around town, as we keep talking about in this business and on this program, but $3 million coming in as almost an average selling price for a brownstone in Brooklyn really flips me out. It's amazing. And, you know, in, uh, in um, what is it, Bed-Stuy, you're talking about just a year ago, houses were 500000 400000 600000 I don't think you can find one for under a million dollars. Wow. In Bed-Stuy, Crown Bed-Stuy. High. No, oh. cannot. That's Interesting. Wild. Yep. All right. So last week we talked about a couple of things from the seller side. I want to talk a little bit today before we get into some fun stuff later in the program. Uh, meet the deal killers, eight obstacles to a sale and how to overcome them. Okay. We've all dealt with sellers. We've all dealt with buyers. We've all dealt with everything. But as a seller or buyer, you think an accepted offer means you're all set to buy or sell that apartment of yours, but not so fast. In the high-stakes game of New York City real estate, the road from accepted offer to signing a contract could be full of drama. We talk about drama all the time on this program, right? While experts say that the vast majority of accepted offers lead to sales, deals can indeed fall apart for a number of reasons. Here are some of the common deal killers, financial problems for the buyer. What do we mean by that? Financial problems for the buyer. Everybody, as we talked about a couple of weeks ago, I have the money, I have the down payment, I can get a loan, I can get a mortgage, not a big deal, I can afford this apartment. P.S., not so fast. What goes mm-hmm. wrong? Got it. What doesn't or what potentially? Well, anybody, I actually had a broker come to one of my open houses a couple of weeks ago. It made me laugh because she was telling me that her buyer was so well qualified. He had so much money. And I said, well, did you have to fill out a revenue financial sheet, which is a standard financial sheet that the majority of us send out if we haven't made up our own? And it really gives a good financial picture to someone. And she said to me, oh, not yet, but look, he drives a Jag. And I said, yeah, he could rent that for $600 a month. Could he afford this apartment? So what this is an example of is, of course, no one on this panel, but we all know there are brokers out there who get a little squeamish in pre-qualifying and asking their buyers about their finances, which we must do. We're not trying to pry into your personal business. We just want you to pass the board and save problems later. Well said, Deborah. And you know, this is a common problem. I know um, I keep talking about it as a, as a sales manager. In addition to everything else I do, I counsel and coach the, you know, the younger salespeople in my office. And it's, it's a shyness or it's a squeamishness or I don't know what it is. They don't want to go and pick through the financial statement with their clients to find out exactly how much these people can afford. Because as we say, you can have a good income, but you may not have good credit, etc. So, you know, financial problems for the buyer. 
exists. And, you know, in tight markets, you know, the banks clamp down and it gets even more tight. What about buyer's remorse? You know, what does that mean? I mean, you know, buyer's remorse is a big, is a big one. How do you explain that? And why does this happen? I think in a tight market when you have a lot of competition, right, <clears throat> buyers end up coming to the table and then spending a little bit more than what they want and they could retract their offers, right? An offer is not binding until it's duly executed by both the buyer and the seller. So um, in some cases, buyers can get anxious or emotional about the purchase. They could put an offer in above ask or above where their threshold could be, and then you know, they could backtrack from there. Yeah, it seems – go ahead. Phil, well, I was going to say just to add to that, to look at it from the other side for the reason that now I just said, when you're working with a seller and you have an accepted offer, you have to keep showing the property because sometimes, especially in this market, people wind up paying more than they wanted to and they do back out. It does happen more than you'd think. There are some, some properties, uh, they're now going through their third or fourth accepted offer yeah. because of that. Yeah. Is it, does it sometimes mean that buyer just changes their mind for whatever reason? I mean, it could be, you know, health reasons, personal reasons, all of the above, you know, divorces, marriages, whatever. I mean, sometimes they just change. I found a lot of buyers in Morris when I was selling new development condominium buildings. You know, I think I've said on this program many times that you had to sell each unit 16 or 17 times before one actually sticks. Yeah. And every, you know, every time somebody would drop out, the developer would say, but what's this about? You know, who knows? It, it, it could be just be anything, but it always falls under that buyer's remorse. Uh, you know, you category. also can have, I have um, a client, I, and for those of you listening that don't understand, customers are people that are relatively new to us. We don't have history with them. We call them clients when we have done repetitive business with them or when they come in and their family or friends. Um, so I have a client that we shopped for a long time, got outbidded many times, finally found a property downtown. We went in fast. We went in right and got an accepted offer. And we had contracts drawn, and she got a pink slip. <laughs> yes, that's happened And she's to me. been with the company for like 15 years. Absolutely. So, I, you know, that kind of <clears throat> thing, obviously, is that does happen. And to loop around again one more time, you had mentioned um, – what it is that happens, and a lot of people don't know this, when we get accepted offers, we have to keep showing the property because you never know what's going to happen. And then you can have somebody come in above the accepted offer and somebody else come in b- above the accepted offer and yeah. get the bid war. Show and then the you can have all signed. kinds of people slip out. You know what I mean? So yeah. it's, uh, all right. So the seller reneges, you know, buyers are more. So now the seller decides, you know what? I don't want to sell my apartment anymore. Oh. I have actually had that happen to me twice in 14 years. And I have to tell you, you know, we shouldn't be surprised at anything ever stunned two times because you try and get a real answer from them. I don't want to sell anymore. Well, why not? <laughs> what changed? Well, you know, I want a higher price or I can't find – I can't find – what I'm looking for in the next apartment. That's, that's a big a one. Big one. Yeah, in the price one. point that I thought I would be able to. Yeah. Exactly. I so. actually have a very positive story on that one. Um, probably the one client that I was the happiest to lose at my own detriment was um, with somebody who had listed their apartment with me for uh, about <laughs> a little over three and a half, almost close to $4 million. And they had been trying to get their neighbor to sell their apartment to them so that they could expand their current apartment for about six years and had finally given up, this neighbor just was not budging. And, on, you know, it wasn't the happiest story on my end because they were looking to purchase something for 10 to $12 million on the other end. So I was helping them find something to settle in on in about the $12 million range, trying to sell their $4 million apartment. And after I had three offers and we were going through a bidding process with these three particular buyers, 
the neighbor says, you know what, guys? I think I'm ready to sell my apartment to you. And so it was a really happy moment right. for them because they really didn't want to leave the building. Uh, it was definitely a loss of about $15, $16 million in sales for me. But really, I mean, these guys are just some of the most phenomenal people I'd ever met. So I was really happy for them. So it's very all interesting. Kinds of things can happen, sometimes very positive ones. We're going to talk about mm-hmm. board rejection in the next segment, so I'm going to skip over that one. Renovation glitches, mm-hmm. problems with the building, all of these things can lead to deals falling apart. We sometimes don't think so, but you know, you're representing a seller, and the seller says, you know, I just need a couple more weeks before the apartment's done, or they're trying to combine apartments or whatever before you get it on the market, uh, and for whatever reason, um, you know, things just fall apart. Renovation is a big one. We talked about that in the past. Sometimes it's the little things. We've mentioned this one many times, lighting fixtures, furniture, etc. All of these things can be considered deal killers. Um, but let's get back to, um, for one example, a renovation glitch. So, I mean, what, what is, you know, what's the problem with renovations when we're representing a seller? Quickly, we have about a minute left in the segment. What is an issue with renovations that really create a deal to fall apart or a seller to say, hey, you know, I'm kind of out of my mind over this, and I think – or I've, I've actually had some person say – somebody say to me once, I'll never forget this, on 75th Street, you know what? The renovation came out so well. I think I'm not going to sell anymore. I want to keep the apartment. No. Yeah, absolutely. I right. think that's the best story. Let's just – Well, that's the best story, and we're going to leave it right there because yeah, we have to go I mean. to commercial. You're listening to Good Morning New York on the Voice of America Radio Network. Don't go away. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. Put Blue Realty Group to work for you. Blue Realty Group is a full-service luxury real estate brokerage firm in Manhattan. With our global reach, unrivaled marketing capabilities, and veteran team, Blue serves some of the world's most exclusive and high-profile buyers and sellers. Visit us today at bluerealtygroup.com. At Blue Realty Group, we feel that people matter and results count. Our mission with you is to meet and deliver expectations to drive the results you want. We're ready now. Visit BlueRealtyGroup.com. That's B-L-U-RealtyGroup.com. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Good Morning New York, Real Estate with Vince Rocco. If you want to call into the program, we're toll-free in North America at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to vrocco at bluerealtygroup.com. That's vrocco at blurealtygroup.com. Now, back to the show. All right, everybody. We're back with the panel for the full hour today. We're talking to Perul Brombat from CORE. Niall Lundgren from Dalian Realty, Rachel Altschiller from Douglas Elliman, Phil Horrigan from LeaseBreak.com, Ivy Ray from Blue Realty, and Deborah Hoffman from Town Residential. Wow, what a cast of characters. Long list. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> All right, so we're talking about co-op and condo boards, and we want to just touch lightly on this. Um, whether we're co-op experts or condo experts, we all agree that shareholders elect a volunteer co-op or condo board that accept in some very small buildings that choose to save money by self-managing, works with the property manager to keep the building in order. 
uh, and oversee the care and maintenance of the building. The board also creates and enforces rules about everything from renovation inside each unit to what's allowed to transpire on the roof deck to whether you can speak on your cell phone in the lobby. That's a real big one. I've gotten yelled at as a broker for talking on my phone in the lobbies of many buildings or whether dogs will be allowed in the building. Unlike condo boards, co-ops can even evict an extremely disrupt, uh, disruptive shareholder and force them to sell their apartment. Uh, condo owners also elect a board of directors that perform many of the same functions as a co-op board. Generally speaking, though, most condo boards tend to be more hands-off when it comes to rulemaking. Whether you are buying a co-op or a condo, your purchase usually must be approved by the building. Of course, a new development, you're exempt from that because it's a sponsor sale, first-time trade, uh, and everybody goes in um, without having to be scrutinized by a board. This involves submitting a large invasive application package. A lot of people call a, a, a condo package or co-op package invasive. Uh, it's assembled by your broker and, and you, the buyer. That includes tax returns, recommendation letters, financial statements, and much more. As explained earlier, condos may make you work just as hard as co-ops lately, but basically they have to accept you unless they exercise their right of first refusal and buy the apartment out from under you. This almost never happens, and in the construction and in new construction, there is not even an application package. So, you know, let's kind of talk a little bit about the process of uh, the the co-op. Well, let's just call it the the board package, regardless of whether it's a co-op or a condo, unless you want to make a specific point. But you know, um, there are a couple of situations in which a co-op can for example, reject you. What what would those what can they possibly be? What what are some of the reasons that they would reject you as an applicant in their building? Well, if you lied about your finances, and this does happen, yeah. actually, you know, again, as I said earlier, if you have a broker who really did not pre-qualify their buyer, and by that I mean actually seeing the documents, um, income tax returns, some bank statements, things like that. Uh, people do lie about their finances, and this deal that Niall and I have been talking about for months that closed and we're still celebrating, about three years ago in that same building, another broker did have someone lie about their finances. And she kept saying, but we've been friends for 20 years. I don't oh, believe God. you lied to me. But when the board asks for recommendation letters and employment letters and things like that, they really do check them out. Well, how about bank statements? I mean, again, you know, if you say I have a hundred thousand dollars in cash on the on the financial statement, and you can't back it up with a with a bank statement, you know, who, who's fooling who? It's no good. Yeah, and, you know, and to, to uh, continue on Deborah's line of thinking, anything can be lied about. So one of the things that also happens, obviously, finances are, are largely or probably the biggest one, but you can sort of not uh, divulge. Is that a word? <laughs> The truth about some of your past, problems that you've had with companies or issues that you've had legally or, you know, et cetera. And if you're either your broker or the board does their due diligence, which is what a board's job, management's job, by the way, is when you hand in the package in a condominium, I would assume also in co-ops, you guys, you guys are the experts on co-ops. Their job is to obviously confirm everything that you've put on your board package and then to dig to their best ability, to anything that you might have not bought to the fore. And often they find things that would be jeopardizing as to you being able to be accepted. In yeah, the and the main thing that we talk about is the, <laughs> revenue, the revenue financial statement, right, which is the income. Um, it states your income, your assets, and your liabilities. It gives you the net worth. So whenever you, you – just for the listeners out there, whenever you're writing or filling one of these out, it's important to be able to back up everything, <laughs> not only to the dollar but to the cent – 
because when you know what Ivy's talking about is they, these boards literally dig into it. So if you say that you have a million dollars thirty six cents in your bank account, well let's let's see that. And they go back into every single one of your accounts. They add it all up with a calculator, and um, they really vet that. So it's extremely important when you, when to be especially if you're a broker or if you're just buying in general to really be methodical about that because that's kind of the the nuts and bolts of buying in the city is really making sure that your finances are are in place especially when you're buying in a co-op because any misstep there you know whenever i go in i'm i'm a little you know uptight when i'm dealing with a buyer because at any moment if 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 a condo board has one guy on it who's just a stickler and there's one thing that's off mm-hmm. that could jeopardize everything and then he's like you know what i don't like this they're off by five dollars here where else is he off and then right. they're going into everything else well one and there could home. be yeah, yeah. and then that mm-hmm. spreads like wildfire and then they're you know witch hunt right there and then it could blow up the entire you know on the heels of that niall you know the reason why manhattan or new york city as a whole didn't experience a lot of foreclosures and or short sales yep. after the financial turndown is based on what you just said because we vet the boards vet candidates so closely to make sure that you can afford to buy this, whether you can get a mortgage or not, but make sure that you're able to do this because, you know, in a lot of other places in the country where there aren't any boards overlooking some some of these things, we had lots of problems. Also, keep in mind that the vast majority of turndowns occur before the interview. A lot of people think that you, you, you submit your paperwork and then you go for your interview and then the board decides yes or no. Well, basically, they decide yes or no before you either are even called and scheduled for an interview. So make sure that your application is perfect. Co-op boards do not have to explain why they reject you, by the way. So although legally they must abide by fair housing laws and not discriminate on the basis of race, religion, family status, etc., the fact is – that anything can and probably does happen behind closed doors and sealed lips. So you get turned down, you take your turn down, and you go away because you're never going to find out from them mm-hmm. why. And so well, when I, you're putting your package together, it must be you know, ironclad, lock solid, and as long as there aren't any glaring financial issues or other issues that pop up, credit, <clears throat> you should be fine. Deborah, you wanted to say something? Yes, <clears throat> I have to add something which is just very important. All of us know this. It's more for the people at home, though. Is in dealing with the financials, if you are self employed or you have a business, let's say you have a record shop or a, a t shirt shop or something like that, one of the biggest red flags and almost an instant rejection on any co op board is if you co mingle your funds. Meaning, and many of us and everyone does this, we're independent contractors too. If your account for your business is basically the same account as your personal account, they will reject you because if your business goes under, you're not going to be able to pay your monthlies in your new building. Correct. And condos have problems with this, too. They don't outright reject you, but they, they could try to gather money to get the right of first refusal, which actually happened to one of my colleagues once, which shocked me. What, really? In a condo, right of first refusal? Really? Wow. Yes. It was a small condo, and they had a huge reserve fund because they were actually collecting money to do some facade work. But this guy really had no money because it was all in his business account, and it was during the recession, and it was kind of a shaky business to begin with. It was a a food stand, and they were very worried, so they exercised their right of first refusal. And then they resold it. This was so interesting. Yeah, wow. that, that is very interesting. Yeah. Um, here are some other possibilities or, or reasons why you get turned down. For example, a lot of buildings you know, have dog issues, and sometimes the size or the breed or the temperament of your pet makes the difference. And sometimes in some buildings, I'm seeing a lot more of this, You know, pets 
are being asked to come to the interview yes. with the owners mm-hmm. or the potential buyers. And so, you know, you need to make sure that your pet, unlike Jet, will sit there and behave <laughs> when interviewed by a board because I wouldn't even imagine taking Jet to an interview. I can't even imagine that. I mentioned, I mentioned this before on the program, but I had a, a co-op deal where there was a 30-pound weight limit. Uh, for the for the dog and uh, the 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 dog weighed about forty pounds. Mm-hmm. Um, the the seller was actually on the board, uh, was cool with it because he was getting a very high uh, price and it was going to actually help everyone's um, the worth the worth or value of everyone's apartment. So what we had the what we had the uh, the dog do is go into the interview for the board interview and sit in the corner. So Vince talked about temperament. You know, this is a very well trained dog. Sat in the corner. The whole time during the interview with an iPhone in its mouth. Didn't move, was completely still. And that's how, that's how they got the, uh, with that's the how they got board really? approval. Yeah. I mean, literally, I was just like, I was, I was with them right before it happened and I was just outside, like at a coffee shop, like, well, I hope this dog just sits there with an iPhone in his mouth. And it did it. And we got, we got board approved and it was, uh, you know, it was incredible. I so. hope you got a picture of that. <laughs> I don't. Well, I wasn't didn't. in the that room. I wasn't there. Over social media, that <laughs> but is it was, great. It was an incredible story, and that's an incredible story. Yeah. Is right. You know, again, Jet would never. When you are on demand, you want her to behave. <laughs> Jet would be all over the table. She's and- the greatest dog in the world. But when you say you need to do this right now, it doesn't happen. Here's another <laughs> reason: the board suspects you uh, plan. The board suspects that you plan to use the apartment as a pied a terre, not as a primary residence. You know, again, people out there who are listening don't necessarily understand the rules of co-ops here in New York City. You can't just buy an apartment, even if you could afford to, with help or on your own. If the building thinks that you're not going to live in it full-time and, and they have rules against pied-a-terre, which are part-time residents, and certainly if you're buying the place for your grown kids, you know, you're buying it and then your kids are going to be li- uh, living in there. In, in most of these buildings in New York City, it's a big no-no. I mean, how do we get around that? Really? Well, you're speaking primarily co-ops, right? I didn't hear that's that a up co- front. That's a co-op situation, yeah, okay. correct. Um, this, this one to me is really tricky. I would say the only board turndowns I got are probably related to this. And what's so tricky about it is that co-ops often will have a policy where they allow pied-a-terres, they don't allow pied-a-terres. But the, the combination of who's on the board changes sometimes and the rules change and you don't know. And if you're the seller and the seller's broker, do you, ex- do you accept this application and sign this contract with someone that has a pied-a-terre? Yeah. It, it just – it creates some risk. And of course, the board doesn't have to tell you whether they reject them for what reason. And, and it, it's really a tricky one. And then the question is what kind of pied-a-terre? Is it the kind of pied-a-terre where someone's buying – from Europe and they're going to have – the board's afraid they're going to have their friends come there or is the kind of pied-a-terre where they, their primary residence is in Westchester and they're going to come into the city and that's considered maybe a little bit more um, you know, palatable from a board's perspective. So it, it's really a tricky one and as a seller's broker and the seller, you have to really make a decision. Do we want to accept this application with this pied-a-terre? It's tricky. You know what I'm finding more and more? I actually called you, Vince, about one yesterday. Is uh, it, As you guys, I'll say it again, I am not the most experienced in co-op purchases, but it, the, the landscape is changing with co-ops in New York City, and we know that. So I'm seeing more listings that are actually saying, you know, pied-a-terre, okay, mm-hmm. subletting, okay. Uh, washer and dryer just put in the unit. You know, there's all of this stuff, which is really the earmark, and you guys can speak more about this, of – of a more liberal co-op situation. And in the past, when I used to breeze through co-ops, it, nothing was ever mentioned. It, well, it was a co-op. What's more, <laughs> most important here with what you just said is as listing agents, when we take a listing and it is a co-op, it is our responsibility to make sure that we find out from the seller, 
from the managing agent and from whomever what is allowed and what is not allowed. How many times do you take listings and people say, oh, a pied-a-terre is allowed at your first open house? And the broker stands there and says, uh, you know, I don't really know. I have to find that out. Wow. Okay. So, you know, that's how common. are you going to – that's common. How are you going to sell yes. this on the first open house in a hot market when you don't even have the right answers? It's yes, it's allowed or no, it's not allowed. Guarantors, parents buying for children, all of these things. Or case by case. You get or, it. And that's, yeah. that's where it gets really tricky because a lot of the stuff yeah. is quote-unquote case by case. It absolutely Or foreign is. cash buyers. You well, know. I was going to say that if you don't have a strong enough presence in the United States – uh, as a citizen, co-ops shy away from that because they just can't wrap their arms around, well, if something goes wrong and you don't pay your maintenance or whatever, how am I going to get to you? You don't right. have any money in the bank, whatever. That's why condo really blew up uh, as far as um, purchasing from foreigners. Mm-hmm. You are a music, a music teacher, a record producer, or an attorney, noise, attorney, litigious, co-ops cringe when they hear attorneys you know, are trying to uh, apply for an application to move into buildings. It's it's just one of those things. Can they get approved? Of course they do. Do they get approved often? Of course they do. But you look at it from their perspective, and they just really don't want. And it's like problem children. You know, you you you, <laughs> you have four kids, and one of them is always in trouble doing something. So the boards tend to look at at this and say, "Hey, you know, we try to minimize our exposure or minimize our." legalities um, by keeping really tight reins on these buildings. Hey, hey, Vince, real quick. The point about noise, you know, trying to figure out whether the person sure. who's buying is going to play an instrument. One thing that's tricky too is you don't know who's on the board. The board member could be someone that lives right below the buyer. And so sometimes there's, there's self-interest there as well. So that's why you know, as brokers, you might get into this. You really want to prep your buyers for the interview and, and what to say and what not to say. Absolutely. Um, so, you know, again, just before we close out this segment, just be very vigilant when you're putting together a co-op or a condo application, purchase application, because if you don't know all the answers up front before you submit, please make sure that you do because it will always come back uh, to haunt you. We're going to take a break, but first you are listening to Good Morning New York on the Voice America Variety Channel. We'll be right back. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain inspired really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com Put Blue Realty Group to work for you. Blue Realty Group is a full-service luxury real estate brokerage firm in Manhattan. With our global reach, unrivaled marketing capabilities, and veteran team, Blue serves some of the world's most exclusive and high-profile buyers and sellers. Visit us today at BlueRealtyGroup.com. At Blue Realty Group, we feel that people matter and results count. Our mission with you is to meet and deliver expectations to drive the results you want. We're ready now. Visit BlueRealtyGroup.com. That's B-L-U-RealtyGroup.com. Streaming live. The leader in Internet talk radio. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Good Morning New York Real Estate with Vince Rocco. If you want to call into the program, we're toll-free in North America at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to vrocco at bluerealtygroup.com. That's vrocco at blurealtygroup.com. Now, back to the show. All right, everybody, we're back, and we're going to talk now for the rest of the show, the next two segments 
about life in New York City. We're going to do some lifestyle stuff this afternoon. And we are all New Yorkers. We all work here. We all live here. We all do our thing here. But, you know, I don't even remember how many years I'm, I'm living and working here. Probably don't even want to mention it on the air. But I have, you know, you. there are so many lessons that we learn through our tenure here in the city. And it's interesting because, you know, through our friend networks and through our family, whatever, whether you're here two, three, five years, whether you're here 15, 20, 30 years, we all live in New York City. We all deal with New York City and we all learn from New York City. Uh, learn lots of different things, what not to do, what to do, what to repeat, what's fun, what's not. So, you know, I always say if you could make it here, in New York City, you could really make it anywhere. So why would you bother to go anywhere else? That's <laughs> that's my line. So as a real estate agent, please come and please buy because it's a great place to live. Mm-hmm. New York City, though, has a reputation for a number of things and being one of the most eye-opening places in the world is definitely one of them. New York City is the mecca for crazies uh, and any person who has lived here for long enough has learned his fair share of lessons. New York City is a crash course in life and that's really true and any proper New Yorker has – become jaded over the course of their tenure in New York City, and that's not a bad thing. That being said, this city is one of the most, if not greatest cities in the world and has taught me personally some of the most important, valuable, and beautiful things this world has to offer. Simply put, there's no place like it. So let's let's go around the table a little bit, and, and what, what are some of the lessons learned as you've lived and done here in New York City. What, what are some of the lessons? Good, good lessons, bad lessons. I mean, for example, you know, I was reading something: the subway never works when you want it to, right? So <laughs> always show up early. Always, always get on the subway before you have to go. Thank Absolutely. I mean, 15, 20 minutes before you think it's it's an easy in a in a in a in like a layup. You have what to a get novel, up early. What a novel thought, right? You have to start yeah. out five <laughs> minutes earlier. You have to. You early. have to have extra money and extra time in New York. Always. <laughs> you know, those are those are essentials, and New York teaches you that quick. So if you're here and you're on the edge, you know, in your life habitually with time, you're going to be screwed so many times. And if you're on the edge with money, you're going to be without because <laughs> it always costs more than you think it's going to. Absolutely. But, you know, on the flip side of that, growing up in Los Angeles in the 60s and 70s, yes, I'm the old lady here, uh, we were always <laughs> taught that New York was the worst place to be. It was scary. It was, you know, every negative stereotype, everybody was Archie Bunker, and it was horrible. But after living here for so many years, I find, and especially after 9-11, that people come out of the shadows when you're thinking the worst thing. You've had the worst day. You missed the subway twice. You lost a $10 bill down the sewer. Nothing's going great. (laughs) That there are angels that step out of the the shadows to help you out, to, you know, give you that change for a dollar for your washing machine, those silly things. And people who you might think are the craziest one in your building will come out and do something so wonderful. You say, God, I love it here. I couldn't agree with you more. I, f- I find New Yorkers to be some of the warmest people on earth authentically. Yeah, you one-on-one. Know? As yeah. a whole, it's a little daunting if you're from L.A. Yeah. or somewhere else. You're like, oh, my God. Well, yeah. I mean, if I'm speaking as a native New Yorker. Yeah. I find New York extraordinary. And I'm with Debbie. I find it to be warm. I find New Yorkers to be resourceful and helpful in every at every single financial level. I find if you learn a little bit of Japanese, if you learn a little bit of Italian, if you learn a little bit of Spanish, depending upon what neighborhood you're living in, you – kind of get entree or entry into this whole other culture. We have like 50 cities in one. Uh, New York is so extraordinary. I wasn't going to go there because you were asking about our lessons. 
Well, we'll get to that in a minute, though, because but I think these are all good points. And, you know, I was going to just say that, you know, you learn how to maneuver through this town regardless of what industry you work in or what neighborhood you live in or, you know, who your friend network is, whatever. You just learn, I think, better than any place else in this country anyway. Um, You learn how to really manage your life differently because, you know, listen, life in New York City is quite different than any place else. I mean, we walk all over the place. We're, we're in transportation all the time. We very seldom drive cars, those of us who have cars, except if we're leaving the city. So it's a kind of manual, what I call a manual living style. Everything is up to how you do it. But you know what? There are lessons. There are lessons that we do learn. And for example, you know, like I said before, the subway, you know, never works when you need it. And as Niall pointed out, so you leave 10, 15 minutes early. And sometimes even when you do that, it still doesn't work. There's a breakdown somewhere, but that's outside of our control. Uh, but I also find that in this town, people will pay for convenience. I mean, we've got Uber, we've got all kinds of black car, you know, limo services. This is a town probably more – I mean I explain sometimes to my, my family what I do and they think, what on earth? Really? Why would you pay for that? You pay book? to get your dogs walked. You pay to get your laundry done. You pay to get uh, – you know, right. And you call in food four days a week. I mean I don't do this. But this is what a lot of people do because do. New York is intense. <laughs> so in order to survive in New York or if you're working in a in – a, uh, you know, let's use our industry as per example. At the end of the day, man, you've <clears throat> done a lot. And most New Yorkers have. So those that can afford it, budget in all of these conveniences so they can survive, so they're supported. Mm-hmm. Well, any, lessons, any, any particular lessons learned as you've gone through your, your time here in New York City? Any particular lessons learned? Well, um, well, I mean, a ton for sure. Um, I would say, you know, to your point, Vince, um, you know, New York definitely is a teacher. I think life is a teacher, no matter where you're living. But maybe New York is sort of like the Harvard curriculum in the sense that everything comes at you so fast and there's just so many people and so many experiences that I really feel like, you know, I, I feel like I'm living like four lifetimes every, like or four years in every year. Um, one of the things I think for me that I just find wonderful and fascinating is this the level of the playing field itself. So there is always somebody who is smarter, faster, more beautiful, richer, um, doing something differently, thinking about something in a completely different way, and the inspiration that I get from that. But I think the first lesson is humility. I think that this is not a town where if you want to be sort of the big fish in in the pond, uh, the pond is just huge, and there's so many big fish. And you can either learn to swim with them and become friends with them and learn from them, or I think this is a pond that you drown in. So I think humility and curiosity are probably the two biggest teachers. Um, and to your point of, you know, things may not work perfectly, and I think it learns, it teaches, I, I feel like I've learned to be very agile, uh, very good with change as it happens, uh, patience to sort of step back and let things sort of play out a little bit before you know, needing to sort of jump in and, and try to control every variable. So I think in general, I just feel that, like, I feel like such a better, well-rounded person, much more rounded person than I was before I got here. Um, and and I, 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 can I add one more word to that, Pearl? Yes. The big word that stands out to me, I'm a native New Yorker for our, the listeners out there and, and people on the panel that may not know this. So I'm born and raised in New York City. And after traveling, I have to say honesty is 
is like the biggest word for me because I uh-huh. find that New Yorkers are, <clears throat> excuse me, are one of the, I think we're the most honest people out there. We tell it mm-hmm. like it is. We're authentic. And coming back to the brokerage community, I've traveled, I've looked for homes outside New York. And there is a difference between New York City brokers and, and outside. I mean, we are just, we tell it like it is. We may ask questions too early, and we may be too upfront, but that's because we're on top of our game. And I think and Rachel, it's a beautiful yeah, thing, that, you know? Yeah, I would say that I think it breeds a real comfort with who you are, um, mm-hmm. because you're not trying to be something else. Um, it is. It really is because, you know, you, I think the biggest lesson probably for me is, you know, one person may have earned $10 million last year, but do I want everything else that comes along with being that person? There might be somebody else who has something completely different, you know, might be a Nobel Prize, you know, prize winner on, in physics or whatever. Uh, but the thing is, is that you start recognizing that you can't pick and choose one variable of someone else's life. It's about taking all the variables and the nuances that makes up yours and really addressing that and, and designing that to be who you want to be, right? And I think this city gives you such a mirror in being able to see that. It just, like, really holds – if you really are willing to see, you see yourself reflected everywhere, you know? And it's about really building from that point and saying, how do I like my life and the cards that I'm holding and the comfortability and – I, I think that the comfortability that you gain with your own self, if you if you live authentically in this city, I mean, to your point of being honest, you know, is just exponential and, and, and such an opportunity than anywhere else in the world, I think. All right, guys, we have to take a break. But on the other side of the break, we will continue this conversation. Don't go away. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com Put Blue Realty Group to work for you. Blue Realty Group is a full-service luxury real estate brokerage firm in Manhattan. With our global reach, unrivaled marketing capabilities, and veteran team, Blue serves some of the world's most exclusive and high-profile buyers and sellers. Visit us today at BlueRealtyGroup.com. At Blue Realty Group, we feel that people matter and results count. Our mission with you is to meet and deliver expectations to drive the results you want. We're ready now. Visit BlueRealtyGroup.com. That's B-L-U-RealtyGroup.com. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain inspired really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Good Morning New York, Real Estate with Vince Rocco. If you want to call into the program, we're toll-free in North America at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to vrocco at bluerealtygroup.com. That's vrocco at blurealtygroup.com. Now, back to the show. Okay, everybody, we're back, and we're going to continue our conversation about the lessons that we learn, good and bad, here in New York City. And again, joining me are Perul Brombat, Niall Lundgren, Rachel Altschuler, Phil Horrigan, Ivy Ray, and Deborah Hoffman. Um, one of our engineers texted me uh, in our last segment that it sounds like life is very exhausting here 
in New York City. Think about that. People out in other parts of this this land don't live the life that we live. Is it exhausting? Yes. You know, I think I get Pearl, I'm going to hop on what Pearl was talking about and just saying quickly that uh, – the, the lessons are endless. There's not a direction you can look in where you won't have an opportunity for growth and to open. And if you don't, you're, you know, mm-hmm. you, if you walk around contracted, you're kind of going down. So we live in a city where there's access to everything and you can up your game in every single direction. Every night of the week, you can find a group where there's dialogues from experts for free often. I mean, the opportunities are endless. But if I were going to say one thing on what you just said, I couldn't survive in New York if I didn't do yoga, if I didn't meditate, if I didn't do breath work, if I didn't get out well, we and find climb ways mountains. To overcome, right. and, and so, you know, New Amen. York is intense. So there's a lot that I do to be the human being that I am, and nobody knows about it. I don't walk about it with signs on me. I would self-combust if I didn't do what I did to be all right here. And you have to live life at, at your own pace, right? Yeah. It moves so fast. Yes. That if you get caught up in it and you're running in one circle and another circle, it, it can completely wipe you out, right? So at certain times, you, you got to say, no, like I'm actually not going to go out tonight and I'm just going to do yoga and meditate. Mm-hmm. You know, I do that as well. It's, it's very helpful. It's like yeah. a hard reset like on your, on your phone. I think it's great for, for your mind. And then you come up and you're ready to go again. Yeah. You have to live life on your, on your own pace and on your own watch. And if you let you know, the rhythm of the city and everything just catch up to you, it will be exhausting. So it, it's exhausting to those who let it be exhausting. And if you just understand that you control it, then you'll be all right. Agreed. Well, the best it's defense absolutely. is a strong offense, you know, right? It's, right. it's a perspective as well. Is that if, you, if you find – if you take – it's almost like – I feel like it's like martial arts. You know, it's, you can either let the energy that's coming at you defeat you. Or you could actually use it to make yourself more energetic. So for me, I mean, I think that anybody on the panel who knows me well sort of asked me the question, like, how do you have so much energy all the time? And I think it's just, it, it's just learning how to use the energy for you versus against you. Um, and just being endlessly fascinated and energized by what comes at you is the trick. It absolutely is, along with yoga and meditation, of course. Yeah, I know. Listen, to most of us do that. That's great. But it's also yes. wisdom and skill. You've yeah. got to be skillful to do things well yeah. in New York City. But a good exercise program, <laughs> even if it's just working out in the gym whatever or a spinning class, whatever you do, I think probably more than any place else against, around the country, you know, we need to do these things to keep ourselves uh, active and agile and, and you know, fresh. I mean, you know, a good workout routine does more for my clearing of my head than anything else. And I think I, we all get involved in that. I mentioned a couple of things before. Price is not an issue. Well, here's one. Price is not an issue if the cocktail is good enough. I mean, so for example, <laughs> you go out and the martini is $17, but you say, you know what? The hell with it. It tastes good. I'll have another one, <laughs> right? How many people in, you know, in, the, in the center of this country are going to do that? They're going to say, $17, I could buy a bottle of vodka, right? <laughs> totally. we, we, yeah. we, but we deal with these things because this is what New Yorkers do. Schedules don't always match up. We're trying to coordinate you know, dinners with friends, drinks with friends. Uh, scheduled clients as real estate agents to to get people to see apartments to, for whatever, and schedules don't sync up. It's always I feel like more sometimes that I'm doing you know secretarial work or or, or scheduling work more than than any other job I've ever had because I'm trying to do it here in New York City. If you want to make what money, I love, then what you I love could about make- our lifestyle here actually is the fact that uh, you know I don't know why the quote from Aladdin comes to my mind uh, where the genie says you know all the power in the universe itty bitty living space. 
uh, because I think as real estate, I mean, brokers, we see that all the time. No matter how much money people are making, we live in relatively small spaces, and yet we live these grand lives. You know, it's just kind of funny when you mentioned the cocktail, that that's the first thing that popped into my mind. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And mine too. But you're right. We live in small spaces. We make do with what we have. We're foot soldiers. You know, again, we're manual, you know, people here. But we, we make the best of it and we do live, you know, pretty nice lifestyles. And uh, the other thing, just another lesson that I've learned sort of related to this, I'll ditto what everyone said, is um, what I've learned in the city is if you don't ask, you don't get often. And this is a very competitive place. There's a lot of people here. A lot of people are trying to succeed. And sometimes people think, well, I'll just sit back and things will come to me. And I mean, I've learned personally, and I'm sure all the people on this panel that are very successful learned, if you don't ask for it, you won't get. Ask for that raise. Ask for that higher split if you're a real estate agent. There's just so many things that you need to ask for and assert yourself. And, and you'd be surprised how and it leads to good things. if you look for it, you can get everything. If yes. you look for it, you can find everything, which is the most, the most amazing thing about the city for sure. Yeah, but you do have to – I'm with you. You've got to be comfortable with that and right. you must persevere. Right, <laughs> right. And without compromising your principles too. And that's the thing too. I think when, when I first came to the city and I saw all these agents and a lot of them let's, – let's face it, okay? We're, 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 we're pretty uh, honest people here, but a lot of them are not. And sometimes yeah. when you first get here, you think, do I have to do that in order to – no, you don't. Mm-hmm. And you could be extraordinarily successful and not compromise your principles one iota. One bit, yeah. I move slower and work with less and do just that. Yeah. yeah. I think we're and, all on the same. Part of the honesty is also just seeing things for what they are. I feel like if we don't come in with a lot of agendas and we come from an honest place, then when somebody else is working from a place that may not be as candid, um, it's easy to see and it's easy then to work with it if you are willing to just face the reality of the situation. So. Do, do you all agree that if you want to make money in this town, you can make money in this town? I find that this is probably one of the, the only places in the world where, you know, whatever your dream is, it can happen. It can come true. If you decide that you want to make money and you put a plan in place, regardless of the industry that you're in or the job that you hold, if you want to make money and if you want to be successful, you can do it here. Does everybody agree Absolutely. with that? Because there's so Absolutely. many opportunities here. Yeah, Sometimes I say it's, it's just about leaving the house. I mean, it's that easy in the city where those times where you're like, oh, I don't want to go to that event or I don't want to go to that birthday party. And then you go and then you leave with 10 business cards. And then all of a sudden you just exponentially increased your network. So literally in this city, you go on the subway, start talking to the person sitting next to you. It, every day is an opportunity. And I think one of the beautiful things about New York is the, the opportunity that is there every day. You can lose a deal. You can lose a bidding war. You can have a board turned down. The next second, someone's calling you looking for a $20 million townhouse. And, and that's the beautiful thing about our job is that it's, every day is just another day and another opportunity, you know? Yeah, Rachel, I meet a lot of people on the subway. You know, I always am yeah, talking me to people too. on the subway mm-hmm. for, for any, any which reason. Uh, a great place to meet people. Not, not gonna <laughs> yeah. lie. I, I totally agree with you. I do the same thing. And, you know, especially I had, a, ca- I had a cab driver once ask me for my business card because he wanted to purchase in Queens. <laughs> wow. Oh, so funny. So you're yeah. sitting there and you're like, I'm feeling a bit of a low. Let me happen. Well, I was train. in a rush. Yeah, I was like, I got to get here very quickly. Get me, <laughs> get me there in five minutes. And he's like, why do you have to get there? Yeah. Oh, I do real estate. Oh, I'm looking for something in Queens. <laughs> Isn't that something? A lot of cab drivers yeah, also own real estate on the low. 
So yes, they you know, do. that's the one thing about New York too is you, you never know who you're talking yes. to. Yes. So never judge so anybody yes. for yep. any that's reason. Right. Yes. That's a very good mm-hmm. point. And do you know how many doormen <laughs> yes. in this town own real estate on yeah. the low? Many on the low. Uh-huh. On, the, yeah. on the low. <laughs> so they be nice to everybody. You Absolutely. don't know who you're talking to. Well, that's what I wanted to say. Ask rather, you know, because as as we've learned lessons. You know, in in our life, in our, in our time here in New York City, how does that transfer over into working with our clients? You know, because we're the experts in real estate, but are we also the experts in maneuvering through and living in New York City? Especially if people are coming into this town as first time buyers, transferring in from someplace else, or just coming in from the burbs because they want to start their life here. Do we get to use our life skills? in addition to our real estate skills with our, our clients? Absolutely. Yes, it's a lot Absolutely. like a chess game. And I, I think a good broker and a good human being is going to always predict the next move. And I think that can be related to real estate. We can do another show just talking about this. But just knowing and being ahead of the game and being ahead of the next client and the next broker, New Yorkers are really, really good at that. And and just being, you know, um, what's the word, um, authentic, authentic, I think Parul and I were talking about before, just being mm-hmm. genuine and sincere. And if you have that combination of predicting the next move and being sincere and ethical, you have a winning combination in this city. Rachel, you reminded me. I wanted to make a oh. comment on that when you guys were saying that. I agree with those words, and I add to authentic and honest. You know, in, in, in this town, raw, I think this is a town where, you know, you find a lot of raw. You find exactly who mm-hmm. people are, what they're all about, what mm-hmm. they're doing, where they're going. And you know what? To me, there's nothing better than that because it is what it is. Yep. You know, you, yeah. you meet people and it just really is what it is. So I find, you know, also with, you know, working with my clients that especially when you finish with them and, and, and you sell something and you close, whatever, and they call you back, you know, Months later, because they want to ask you a New York question, or they want mm-hmm. to ask you your opinion on a restaurant, or hey, we we have plans to go here to see a show or whatever. Have you seen that, or can you recommend something? So, I think that's the highest form of, of uh, compliment or flattery when you know you're finishing with a client and they say, mm-hmm. "Hey, by the way, you know we 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 trust your wisdom or your knowledge of not only real estate but of your lifestyle in New York." And people tend to think that we have great lifestyles, and maybe we do. And they want to tap into that, okay? So they want to ask us and they want to follow us. I do lots of things, you know, in my marketing and my branding, rather, uh, mm-hmm. that's outside of real estate. I mean, I, I do lots of personal, you know, um, or, or lifestyle New York things in my e-blast to customers. And I get more responses from them when I do that than I'm, you know, touting a new listing or I have a new client or whatever. Mm-hmm. They seem well, to like that When you, like when that you stuff said better. something about people skills in general um, or just life skills, I honestly can't tell you that there's a line between the life skills, the lifestyle, and our jobs. I think that they all sort of fold into one, at least for me, and I think most people on this panel would agree with that. I want to end. We have just a few minutes left. I want to end with something I read on Brick Underground last week. It says, uh, when we consider New Year's resolutions, we typically think of a new diet, exercise, or budgeting regi- uh, regime. Uh, no judgment here if you've already abandoned some of your goals for 2015, but there are other ways we can all be better New Yorkers in the coming year. And this is on the heels of what we've just spoken about, uh, being more you know, connected or lessons learned in this town. Get more involved with your neighborhood. It's no fun to live in a neighborhood when you only spend time there when you're sleeping. Support local <laughs> businesses. Even yes. if you're already in the habit of hitting up the Whole Foods near your office before heading home, try branching out and shopping at the local 
grocery stores and delis, the mom and pops. Where are all those mom and pops anymore? And scoping out nearby businesses with services like dry cleaning and manicures yeah. in your neighborhood. Adjust your yeah. attitude. This one's a little more abstract, but it's just as important. The key is to not get complacent. Get a little angry if a business you love shuts down. Make noise about it. Or you see long-term residents um, is replaced by greedy landlords. Well, we see lots of that. Unfortunately, um, it is New York, big and bad and big and good. But we have to deal with what we are given every day in this town. And unfortunately, that's all for today. That is Good Morning New York for this week. We are back next Tuesday morning, 9 a.m. live. You can always catch the show later in the day on podcast or anytime on our website, voiceamerica.com. For all of us at Voice America all around the world, thanks for joining us, and I will see you again next week. Thanks for tuning in this week. Please join us for another edition of Good Morning New York Real Estate with Vince Rocco next Tuesday at 9 a.m. Eastern Time, 6 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Here's hoping all of your transactions are successful ones. We'll be right back.